What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the TCP Podcast. This is Tyler Clark with TC Performance, and I hope that you guys are having a great week so far. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, whenever whenever you guys are listening to this. I hope that your week is going well. I hope that your day is going well. And and yeah, uh, real real quick before I get into the podcast, though, uh, last week, if you follow me on Instagram, I posted a, a story basically just asking for questions for uh, Mike G, who I said that I would have on soon. I was planning on having him this week, but some things ended up falling through. He He's currently in Dallas working with Spencer Dinwiddie uh, on the Mavericks. Um, obviously, their, their season, the NBA just ended. They're getting into their playoff push, so he's working one-on-one with him. And obviously that comes first. I, I would never ask him to even try to fit me into his schedule whenever he's working with those caliber athletes. But just want to communicate with you guys. I, I am 100% planning on having him on within this month. So at, at some point within this month, Mike G will be on the podcast. He's going to be spreading a bunch of knowledge bombs, bringing all facts. It's going to be, it's going, it's going to be a super cool episode. Mike G's the man. Um, but I just wanted to give that update out real quick. And then, like I said, at the end of whichever episode it was, I, I, I will be having some other really, really high-level guests on uh, within the next couple of months as well. So, quick update on that. And as for this episode, I'm going to be talking about jumper's knee or patella tendinopathy or tendinosis. Um, I'm going to try to keep it keep it short, concise, uh, really digestible, and just really applicable to everyone. And there's, there's, there's a couple things that I want to tackle regarding jumper's knee that go against really what you're taught before and what doctors say because common knowledge is that you rest and you ice and that's how you heal jumper's knee or patella tendinopathy and a lot of research a lot of people have proven that to not be the case and it's actually hurting us more so i'm obviously going to digress into that but first thing that i want to say is what what is a tendinopathy what is a tendinosis i thought it was tendinitis that's what right it's probably what you're thinking it's actually not tendinitis. Um, w- what you're dealing with, if it's jumper's knee, it's actually called patella tendinopathy or tendinosis. And what that just basically means is it means it's the breakdown of collagen in a tendon. So collagen is just a protein, and that's what comprises our tendons, collagen. So it's the breakdown of collagen within our tendons. Itis implies that there is swelling or inflammation which would also imply that there needs to be blood flow. So there's actually no blood flow within our tendons. Um, So with that implication, it's not an itis because we're not actually swelling. There's no inflammation within the tendon itself. It's just around the knee, if that's the case for you. So calling it tendinitis is actually incorrect. It's actually tendinopathy or tendinosis. It's the breakdown of collagen. It's not the inflammation of the tendon. So to bring that all together is it's it's not inflammation, but it's actually degeneration of the tendon, of the collagen that comprises our tendons. So what exactly causes jumper's knee? It's called jumper's knee, it's implied, but jumping is the act that causes this. So the first thing that we want to do if you're experiencing jumper's knee is we want to take jumping out of the process, right? So and for some people, that's actually super difficult. If you're in season, if you're a basketball athlete, volleyball athlete, if you just jump a lot, whatever the case may be, and you're experiencing jumpers knee, patella tendinopathy, you want to try to re- reduce as much jumping as you possibly can because that's what is causing the actual injury. Now, it's, it's also important to take into account that it's not just jumping in general, but it's 
workload spike. So if you're in season, good example, because a lot of people experience jumpers and when they're in season. I was one of those athletes. Um, you have this constant workload spike. So say you go to practice and you practice hard. You're jumping off of one leg for a layup, two legs for trying to dunk it, for rebound blocks, whatever the case may be. For two hours straight, you're going real hard in practice. Then after that, you go back to your dorm and you sit on your ass and you play video games. So to you, it may not seem like a workload spike, like you're spiking every single day. It's just this weird frame of time where you're just spiking your workload really, really badly and your your body doesn't like that, but it is. So if you go to practice, like I said, for two hours and then go back to your dorm or D hall or class and just sit, you're, you're spiking your workload. And honestly, you're technically sedentary for that. Um, so a huge concept is if you're able to consistently even out your workload. So if you can, if you can walk throughout the day, if you can get extensive plows, which I'll get more into later on, but keeping a consistent workload is huge. Tendons really, really do not like workload spikes. So don't just go to practice. Don't do the bare minimum is what I'm trying to say. Don't go to practice and, and that's it. Like, Get in the morning, get in at night, get some extensive plows in, get get low-level plyometrics in so your tendons and your joints and your ligaments and all these things that are super important are getting some sort of exposure to stress constantly. So it's not there out of nowhere, it just aggravates the tendon whenever it's we're sitting all day, sitting all day, sitting all day, and then boom, two hours of practice, super, super intense, vigorous session, whether it's a skill session or weight room or if it is practice or a game, your body's already accustomed to a steady state, a, a consistent load, a consistent workload. So whenever you, you spike that workload, that's when you see super, super bad aggravated tendinopathy or jumper's knee. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get into typical procedures. So if you go to the doctor, get an MRI, which actually MRIs don't show tendinopathy. They, it, 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 it doesn't show up. Um, a lot of the times if you go to get an MRI and it says whatever, it's probably wrong. Um, MRIs can't really pick up if it's jumpers knee or not. So I, I wouldn't trust MRIs, one. And two, I it sounds crazy, but don't trust your doctor in this standpoint because they, they're not necessarily trained for sport performance. So they, they doctors are 100% necessary. Listen to them for medical advice. I'm not saying that, but for tendinopathy, jumpers knee, don't listen to them because what they're going to tell you is just you need to rest in ice. And that's actually the worst thing that you could possibly do for your jumper's knee and for your tendons. So rest is actually hurting you. When we rest, we actually just enable the degeneration of the tendon. Um, we, we need load. And what I mean by that is we need external load. So whether that's our body weight or that's a dumbbell, kettlebell, Smith machine, it doesn't really matter how you load it. You just need an external stress, an external load. So when we, when we load, I know it seems counterintuitive. You're injured. Why would you load it? But just hear me out for a second. It seems counterintuitive, but when we load our tendons with heavy isometrics, a couple of things happen. There's a layer of strong collagen, quote unquote, strong collagen that works as a stress shield for our te- for our tendon, specifically our our patella tendon. So when we hold a heavy ISO for 30 seconds, and say it's a heavy ISO lunge, hold that for 30 seconds. 
we reach what's called stress relaxation, which relaxes 60% of that strong collagen and allows the damaged and degenerated collagen to feel the force of the ISO. Now, this is huge because just very, very general concepts. If you want to grow and you want to strengthen your biceps, for example, you have to break down the muscle fibers, right? You have to break them down in order to build them back up. And that's how you continue to build strength, build size, whatever it is you're trying to look for. So because of that strong collagen and the stress shielding, even though we're jumping and it feels like it's hurting, the actual damaged collagen is never getting that stress. So it never has the opportunity to rebuild and adapt. So when we use heavy isometrics, like I said, a 30 second hold, it allows that strong collagen to relax about 60%. So then that damaged collagen can feel the force and force equals stress and then stress equals adaptation. Like I said, just like with your biceps, if you're quad, whatever it is, I'm just using a bicep as an example. You want to break down the muscle fiber or in this case, the collagen to then rebuild the collagen for new and healthy, stronger collagen. That's what ISOs do. So heavy ISOs are huge. And you can do this, like I said, in ISO lunge. You can do it on a leg, leg extension machine, Spanish squat, um, a whole, whole bunch of different ways that you can do that. But heavy isometrics help the tendon reach that stress relaxation, which exposes it to the stress, which it then equates to adaptation and a healthier, stronger tendon. So isometrics are huge. And my big point is rest and ice is just, it. please don't do it. If you rest, you're not stressing the actual collagen, the actual tendon, and it's not going to get better. If you rest, a couple of things will happen. Because if you do rest, it's 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 a double-edged sword. You you don't have pain when you rest, so it feels like you're 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 better and you're getting better, but it, you're only not feeling pain because, like I said, you've taken jumping out of the equation. So the actual piece that's hurting you, you're just not doing anymore. So of course you're not going to feel any sort of flare up or or pain regard like in your patella tendon because you're not jumping. So if you're just resting and icing, yes, I can see how you'll feel and think that it's getting better, but it's not. As soon as again, workload spike, you rest for a month, don't really do anything, even if you're lifting, it doesn't really matter because you're not doing plyometrics, you're not doing sports specific movements, so whenever you get right back on court and jump, it's still going to be there. You you didn't do anything. You just degenerated the collagen fibers and the tendon more so. So you're going to come back. The patella tendon, the tendinopathy is still going to be there. The tendon is still going to be damaged. And you basically just missed a month of training, three months of training, however long you rested. So please do not rest in ice. It seems counterintuitive to load the tendon, but I'm telling you all the science, all the studies, it all shows that you need to break down that the collagen, the damaged collagen, you need to break it down through isometrics, 30 seconds, stress relaxation, damaged collagen gets, feels the force, feels the stress, breaks down, builds back up. That is the process that we're looking for. That's how we recover from a patella tendinopathy or jumper's knee. And this is also applicable to Achilles tendinopathy or tennis elbow or any sort of tendon that's degenerated. We just need to load it in, in order to adapt it. And that's how we get better. Um, the second piece to that, the doctor's procedure is, uh, or protocol is rest and ice. Um, ice is actually not necessarily the greatest for tendinopathy or jump, jumper's knee either. 
and I won't get too much into it, but essentially, like I just said, the overarching goal of tendinopathy whenever we're rehabbing it and, and working on it is to overload it and to stress it, right? So if we just go through a ISO session or whatever the case may be, and like you're still feeling sore for whatever reason, don't ice it because we want to overload it. If we ice it, we kind of negate that whole process. So it doesn't make sense for, for jumper's knee, really. I'll just leave it at that. I, I won't get into icing as a whole. I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's just counterintuitive regarding jumper's knee because it's not allowing the tendon to actually overload and, and be stressed. So that's really the biggest aspect of tendinopathy and jumper's knee that I'll say. And like I said, it is applicable to any tendon. So if you're experiencing some tendon, some Achilles tendon pain, same thing, load it loaded with heavy isometrics because this is what will allow that stress relaxation and then the adaptation. Um, I'm not going to harp on that too much more, but one thing that I will say is also for, for any females listening, females are actually more susceptible to patellofemoral pain, not necessarily patella tendinopathy. Um, so if it is patellofemoral, which is typically you feel it above the knee, whereas patella tendinopathy, you'll feel it um, under the knee where the actual patella is. Uh, patella tendon is. So regarding that, if it is patella femoral pain, then isometrics actually will be counterproductive. They'll they'll actually hurt it more. And that's just an easy easy way to tell if it's patella femoral or patella tendinopathy. If you just go through a little series of isometrics, then if it hurts, then it's probably patella femoral. And if it feels better afterwards, it's probably patella tendinopathy or jumper's knee. Um, with patella femoral pain, it's more so an issue with the kinetic chain. So what does that mean? Basically just there's a quote unquote chain going up the body, starts at the ankle, knee, and hip, and you want to move fluidly throughout that chain. So you want there to be adequate motion and movement, range of motion through your 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 ankle, your knee, and your hip. So if there is a block in that chain, if there's a block in the hip or if there's a block in the ankle, then because of that, most of the force that you're experiencing on the court or feel wherever it is will be relocated onto the knee. So so the knee will be taking the brunt of all that force rather than going up and evenly distributed through the ankle, the knee, and the hip. So for example, if you lack dorsiflexion or if you have bad hip mobility, you can't really hinge very well. Um, those are just two examples. If you don't have good dorsiflexion, that means you can't take as much force in the ankle and if you don't have good hip mobility, that means you can't take the brunt of the force whenever you land from a jump or if you're, whatever the case may be, cutting, whatever that is, you don't have enough range of motion, you don't have good enough mobility, so the knee has to take the brunt of that force. It's not evenly distributed through those three joints. And basically, that's that's one of the reasons why it could be patellofemoral pain. So if you do have patellofemoral pain, you went through your isos and that hurts, then look at your mechanics. Start start loading the hip more, increase your range of motion in your ankle, dorsiflexion specifically, and things like that. So if it's patellofemoral pain, um, it's more of a mechanical issue rather than a tendon tolerance or, or tendon capacity issue. Now, some ways to um, go about and kind of program or periodize rehabbing tendinopathy uh, there's there's a lot of really good researchers out there, and one, one of their names is Jill Cook. She has a protocol where basically you start with isometrics. Uh, it's four phases. You start with isometrics, and like I said, it could be a Spanish squat, lunge, leg extension machine, Smith machine, whatever it is. You go isometrics until the pain is gone. 
So whenever you feel pain-free, then you introduce slow, heavy isotonics. Isotonics are literally just your regular movements. So a split squat, a, a lunge, a hinge, whatever it may be, slow, heavy isotonics. So you're relieving the pain with the isometrics. So you're basically coming to neutral. And because of that, now you can actually reach for adaptation and, and try to strengthen the tissue itself. So with slow, heavy isotonics, you're building up that tissue tolerance, that tendon capacity. So that way you can better equip yourself to handle the forces that you're absorbing and, and seeing on the court field, wherever it is. Then the next phase for Jill Cook's uh, protocol would be store and release energy. So things like a box jump or snap downs or other things like that, where you're storing and then releasing energy will be the next phase. That's phase three. And then the, the next fourth phase would be back to activity. Now, if there's any point where if you go through your isometrics and then you get into your isotonics and you start to feel pain again, you want to start back over with the isometrics. And another piece of advice and actually huge, huge piece of advice for this is don't base your pain off that day. Base your pain off 24 hours after you lift or after you do your isometrics. So if you're still, say say you do your isometrics, you're, you're pain-free, you get into your isotonics and you're feeling good, but then the day of you're kind of feeling a little eh about your tendon and it's and it's it's still kind of flaring up it feels weird if the next morning you wake up and you're fine you're good the next morning or 24 hours after if you're feeling the tendinopathy again then we have to kind of scrap it all go back to the isometrics and really tackle the degenerated tendon itself and build that up first now another super important figure within the tendon realm and tendon world really his name is keith barr um, a lot of his research he did some cool nutrition aspects to tendon training and tissue tolerance and all this stuff um, he in a lot of his studies showed that if you pair 15 grams of collagen and gelatin or collagen infused gelatin with 50 milligrams of vitamin c whether that's orange juice or an actual orange uh, whatever it is, an hour before your session shown, it shows to actually increase the collagen cross-linking. So if you take and pair 15 grams of collagen and gelatin or collagen infused gelatin with 50 milligrams of vitamin C, that can be supplements if you want, an hour before an isometric session, or even if it's practice or a 10-minute jump rope session, whatever it is, if you do that an hour before, it's actually showed to increase the cross-linking of collagen so it, it basically helps the regeneration and rebuilding phase of collagen if you do that an hour before so those are like the major things that i need you guys to know about tendinopathy and jumper's knee and like i said a couple of times this can be applied to achilles tendinopathy jumper uh tennis elbow whatever it is if it involves a tendon and it's a tendinopathy load it load it load it load it that's my biggest takeaway do not rest in ice um, Jill Cook's phases and her protocol is, is cool. I've done it myself. It's actually helped me a lot. And then Keith Barr's stuff, I have tried it. It helped me a little bit. Um, his stuff is probably more um, anecdotal. Um, it, it'll be subjective to you. If you like it, if you think that it helps, then go for it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys to go buy supplements and do this and do that. If you don't want to buy the supplements, you'll be fine. It doesn't hasn't proven to be like astronomical difference but it can prove to help a little bit. And if there's any chance that it'll help your tendinopathy, the, de the degeneration of your actual tendon, if, you, if you're if you able to get those kind of supplements, go ahead and try it. Um, I know for a fact, Paul Favorites, 
Max Marzo and another one of their business partners has a nutrition supplement brand and company called Upper Echelon, and they have a product specifically for this exact thing. So they have uh, collagen infused with 50 milligrams of vitamin C. So you can get that. It's called Upper Echelon. So if you want to try that, I would I would use that product specifically because it's all there for you and then go crazy with it. But then, like I said, those were the big rocks. The last thing that I do want to talk about are some other things to consider. So our feet and our soleus and our soleus is one of our calf muscles. Our calf muscle is two muscles and the soleus is actually attaches to the Achilles. So it's what we call deep to the tibia or our shin. Um, uh, the reason why I'm bringing up the soleus is because it's it's a massive component to really absorbing force and 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 protecting our knee, which then protects our hip. And just like I said, the kinetic chain it helps protect the rest of our chain. So our feet specifically though, and our soleus, it's the first thing to hit the ground, the first thing to leave the ground. I had Christian Placencia on two weeks ago and he talked about the feet a little bit and it's just really important to strengthen the feet and make sure we have a strong, strong, strong foundation. Big toe extension, just strong feet in general. There's so many intrinsic muscles, ligaments, tendons within the feet that we don't train because we're in shoes all day. So big thing that I wanna mention is whenever we train, especially if you're in the weight room, take the shoes off, take the socks off if you can, take the socks off more if you're at the house, whatever it is, just start to get comfortable out of your socks and train your feet a little bit more so because it'll only help you potentially protect your knees and your career and all this stuff. But um, the feet are super important. There are different ways that you can do that. Slowly implementing barefoot training is huge. That alone will will help a lot. And then the soleus specifically um, I, I forget the exact percentage. I want to say like 60% or something like that, but the soleus specifically takes a lot of force. I think it's 60% of the force. Um, and the stronger our soleus is, the more protected our knee will be. So like I said, it's the first thing to hit the ground. So if our soleus is weak, that means it's not taking the force that we're absorbing and we're accepting whenever we land very well at all. And that goes straight to our knee and that's what could potentially hurt our knee might not even be a tendinopathy, but it could be an ACL, whatever it is. The stronger our, our soleus is, the more protected our knee is. So any sort of bent knee calf raise, great. Any sort of low-level plyometrics, um, pogo hops, that's more dynamic stuff. But if you want to isolate the actual soleus, like I said, any sort of bent knee calf raise, whether it's on a Smith machine, a seated calf raise, just a dumbbell, whatever it is, um, eccentric, Training for the soleus, huge, 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 huge. So if you go a three-second decline, hold it at the bottom for a second, come back up, and rep that out. The The stronger our our soleus is in general, the better. But the stronger our soleus is eccentrically, how good it is at, at accepting and absorbing the force that we're, that we're seeing on the court or the field, like I said, wherever it is, the, the more protected our knees, our hips, and up the chain will be. So... Training the soleus, training our feet is huge because it's our first line of defense for our knees, for our hips. Um, the next thing is practice proper mechanics. This one is an iffy one because our landing mechanics varies between all, all athletes, obviously. But if you watch any sort of high-level athlete, if they jump for a layup, they're landing on one leg, the knee angles and the mechanics are, are weird. So even if you do teach super proper you know, accept at the hip, a slight bend in the knee, 
good dorsiflexion on snapdowns in a weight room that may not transfer over to the court. But I do think that there's some value in things like altitude drops. Snapdowns may or may not hold a place, but just in general, showing proper mechanics, so properly hinging, properly squatting, good dorsiflexion, things like that, implementing those and then repping those out, loading them, finding other positions and important things that you see on the court or whichever sport you are, proper mechanics and loading those efficiently, properly is huge. Because if we're able to load it properly, it'll be evenly dis- distributed throughout the chain. Like I said, the ankle, the knee, the hip, not all that force, not all that load is going to be given to our knee. So that's that's huge. And then the last thing is have a consistent workload. Like I said, a spiked workload is one of the worst things that tendons can experience. So if you sit on your ass, like I said, play video games all day and then have a two-hour practice, of course you're going to have jumper's knee. But if you can wake up in the morning or if it's just, it doesn't have to be in the morning, at night, whenever you can get it in, if you can get literally just a five to 10-minute session of isometrics in like three days a week, at least you have some sort of consistent workload. It doesn't have to be isometrics. It could be jump roping. It could be going on a very light jog, a walk. Just don't sit on your ass all day because our tendons hate that and that's what's going to cause the tendinopathy itself. So give yourself a consistent schedule. Try to get, try to have a consistent workload. Do something, do a little, a lot. So do a little bit every single day if you can. If that's jump rope, if that's low level plyometrics, extensive plyos, whatever it is, do something every day so you're not consistently spiking that workload and consistently having jumper's knee and, and trying to battle that. And actually, the last thing that I'll leave you guys with is nutrition. So I'm sure everybody's heard the saying, you are what you eat. And in a way, it's, it's very true. So if you're eating fast food, soda, whatever the case may be, if you're constantly eating that, how do you think the body is going to react? It's, it's going to degenerate. Our tendons, our ligaments, they're going to be weaker. They're, they're not going to be as durable or resilient to everyday stressors and not even to think about your sport. So I'm not going to digress too much into the nutrition aspect of it because I did put out a podcast talking about recovery basically. So that's a massive one for this. Also sleep and nutrition will play a huge part in honestly tendon health too. So if you want to go listen to that episode, um, a lot of good information in that one, but I hope that you guys took away the key concept for this is to load your tendons. Do not just rest in ice. If there's one thing that you take away from this, do not rest in ice load your tendons. That's how you're going to get better. Then slowly implement heavy, slow isotonics. And then from there, build up, get back into your sport. But other than that, that is all I got for you guys this week. Um, May or may not have a guest on next week, but if not, regardless, I'll be there. Excited for it. So I will see you guys next week. Peace.